As we go through the Gospel of John, looking at the second half of this chapter today, John chapter 10, verse 22 to the end of the chapter. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them... Even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John has said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Well, let us pray and ask God to bless his word. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We look forward to hearing it preached in terms of Christ being revealed more plainly to us, and we pray that that will be so, that we will hear your voice, and that we will know that God cares for us. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's interesting to me that the most precious thing in all the world is the most secure thing in all the world. That makes sense. Things we deem of great value, we secure. And when we don't deem things of great value, we don't secure them. So what is it that keeps God from obliterating this world? It's his people. They are the ones for whom Christ laid down his life. As the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, we are then called his treasured possession, his segula, the Old Testament word for this treasured possession that God has. So if we are God's most treasured possession on earth, it goes to make sense that we would be the most secure treasured possession on earth. More secure than gold and rubies, more secure than banks, more secure than your stock in Tesla, more secure than whatever your house foundation may be on, more secure than anything you can think of are the people 
of God. And that's something that Christ richly brings out in this discourse that is about two or three months after the Feast of Tabernacles. So John doesn't always tell us, but you can tell by the language that he uses. And there's a different feast. It's of dedication that takes place in Jerusalem. Now, this feast of dedication is not a command of the scriptures that they were to partake of. In fact, it goes back to over 160 years before the time of Christ when there was what was called the Maccabean Revolt. Judas Maccabeus was a hero uh, because Antiochus Epiphanes had taken the temple and he had desecrated the temple in an idolatrous fashion. And so Judas Maccabeus and those who were with him in the revolt uh, reclaimed the temple and uh, brought it back to what it was intended to be. So they had this feast, and this feast actually remains today. It is what is called Hanukkah, and around December you will notice that uh, many Jewish people still uh, partake of Hanukkah. And it goes back to this feast of dedication. So uh, there is a time of celebration going on there in Jerusalem, and Jesus is walking, and they... Uh, ask him a question in verse 24. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, this is a disingenuous question. Why is that? Because Christ has plainly revealed himself. And anyone with the eyes of faith would know that Jesus is who he has claimed to be, who John the Baptist at the end of this section also claims him to be. They are like uh, modern-day atheists. Perhaps you've been in a debate like this with someone, and they said, listen, I'll believe in God. If God exists, why doesn't He just show Himself to me? Then He can, you know, we can get through all of this debate. He can be there. We can see Him. I'll accept that if God just shows Him. But we know that even if someone were to come back from the dead, the heart is so hardened by sin that even if God were to come back, and He will come back one day, people will not believe. So, tell us if you are the Christ. And He says, I've told you, and you do not believe. The works that I've done, such as the opening the eyes of a man born blind, which has never been done since the beginning of the world, no prophet anywhere in recorded history has opened the eyes of a man born blind, which is a sign of the Messiah and the age of the Messiah from Isaiah's Gospel that he gives us so richly, they should know he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. The works that he does are impossible unless he is who he says he is. And they bear witness about him in verse 25 at the end there. But you do not believe, not because the works are insufficiently clear, not because the works are insufficiently clear. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now, what then are the marks of true Christians? And that is what unfolds in the next few verses. What is a true Christian? What is the identifying marks of a true Christian? And the first identifying mark of a true Christian is that they believe. Just as these people do not believe, so the way in which you enter the kingdom of God is through faith and faith alone. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 86, your favorite one, right? You go, I have no idea what it asks. 
What is faith in Jesus Christ? This answer alone, if believed, is the difference between heaven and hell. It is the difference between living for Satan and living for God. It is the difference between darkness and light. It is the difference between eternal despair and eternal happiness. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we do two things. Receive and rest upon Christ alone as He is offered in the Gospel. You receive and you rest. Those are the principal acts of saving faith. Now many other things accompany saving faith, but ultimately to become a Christian, you simply receive. What do you relinquish? You relinquish self-justification, self-righteousness, self-advancement. You relinquish excuses. You relinquish all of those things that are natural to you, and you simply hold open your hand and you receive Christ alone, by faith alone, to the glory of God alone. It is a saving grace where you receive and rest upon Him alone. And so he says, verse 26, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Therefore, the sheep are those who do believe. Now, there are other aspects that mark the life of true faith. The first is this. They not only believe, but they hear. Verse 27, My sheep hear my voice. Now we have to understand what this means because there are many people who have heard the voice of God. Abraham heard the voice of God. Isaiah did and said, Whoa, I am undone. John hears the voice of God in chapter 1. And he's meant to write down letters to the seven churches. And let me assure you, this is not an enjoyable, oh, wonderful, the Lord is speaking to me today. Uh, yes, Lord, what would you like me to write down to the seven churches? Uh, yes, oh, very good. Oh, the Laodiceans. Oh, okay, well, they're a little bit proud, but they need it. And you, you know, keep on going. John falls down as though dead. The reception of the Word of God brings terror to him because God is speaking to him. Paul is converted on the road to, to, to Damascus and Christ speaks to him. He says, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Well, isn't that wonderful, Lord? I was just looking for you. He hears the voice of God. The next thing, he's blinded. And then he doesn't eat or drink for three days. Which is to say that if Jesus were to immediately speak to you in His current glory and audibly confront you, I would expect you to fall down as though dead or not eat for three days or drink anything or some other mesmerizing experience like Peter who goes out of his mind on the Mount of Transfiguration when the glory of Christ is revealed. And he says, oh, why don't we build some tents? You know, Moses and Elijah. He's talking out of his mind. The way in which Christ actually ordinarily, now I'm choosing my words carefully because I don't want you walking out of here slandering me like usual. Okay, you're listening, good. Ordinarily, which allows for occasional extraordinary works by God as He deems fit. But I would say, for most of us, indeed all of us, the ordinary way in which you hear the voice of God 
is in the Word of God, read and preached and applied to you in your life, in worship, in public, and in private. It is the Word of God. And so Jeremiah will say, Your words were found, and I ate them. He hears the voice of God. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. He knows that he is called by the Lord, and he hears the voice of the Lord. And every time you come to worship God, you are to hear the voice of Christ in his word, because the word testifies to Christ from beginning to end. They hear his voice. And that's the glory of the gospel. You can go anywhere in the world and preach it, and the sheep will hear. You don't need to come up with this uh, fancy sort of, well, philosophy of this, and, you know, bring a bit of Descartes and the in, Enlightenment period and a bit of Nietzsche. And I would suspect that if you were to go with some of these philosophers to tribes that haven't heard, they'd probably kill you, and rightfully so. The gospel is a universal language because it meets a universal need. And the sheep will always hear the voice of Christ in the faithful preaching of the Word because it is not just the faithful preaching of the Word, it is the faithful preaching of the Word that brings out Christ in that Word to the sheep who need to hear His voice. So they hear. And they are known. Now, sometimes in the Scriptures, the emphasis is upon knowing Christ. In John 17.3, this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I'll be perfectly honest, I'm a big fan of knowing Christ. It's a good book. I'm not against knowing Christ, okay? I think it's probably the most important thing that we can do in this world is seek to know Christ. But there is something that is actually more important than that. So the most important thing we can do is seek to know Christ as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. But there's something more important than that. And it is that we are actually known by Christ. You see, before there was any desire on our part to ever want to know Christ, we were known by Him, loved by Him. We've already been able to sing about this earlier. Before the throne of God above, I have a song, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name, your name, is graven on His hands. My name is written on His heart. I know that while with God he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart, because he knows me and he loves me. And because of that, I know him and love him. But that is one of the greatest privileges you can conceive of, that you are known by Christ. There was a provincial boys basketball um, finals going on this weekend, I'm told. I didn't go. $18 to watch boys run around and throw balls into hoops. Not my thing. But a rumor emerged, and this will excite some of you in the front row. Uh, not this front row, <laughs> just that one actually. 
AJ, he didn't like my last week's sermon so much. I've got to get him back. Um, this is how it goes. Drake, the great rapper, was rumored to be at the Provincials basketball. Now, if you want to sell tickets to gullible 15 and 16 and 17 year old boys for $18, it's a very good idea to say Drake's going to be there. And my son went. <laughs> and I thought about the fact that Josh, oh, that's your name too, Josh goes to this place and he knows Drake. He knows who Drake is. And they say, ah, Drake is here. And I don't know if he was there. I find it highly unlikely, but let's just say he was there. Drake is there. And Josh is with his buddies. And the next minute, Drake is there. And Drake comes up and says, oh, hi, Josh, my man. What's going on? How are you doing? He'd be a hero. He'd have a hundred girlfriends instead of ten. Drake knows you? Now this is the problem of the human heart. How easily satisfied we are with these types of things in life where we can say, oh yes, I know this uh, hockey player. I know this person that. And we're easily satisfied with the fact that not only do we know someone, but sometimes they even know us. Well, you can say that the King of Kings, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, that enthroned Lord of glory actually knows you and doesn't just know you, He cares about you and loves you more than anyone else in all the universe can possibly know you and love you. The sheep believe, the sheep hear the voice of Christ and they are known by Christ, but they also follow. And in the context of the first century, when a rabbi says this, follows a standard word when you are committing yourself to a teacher. They follow Christ. They embrace Christ's word and it regulates all of their thinking. They not only are regulated in all of their thinking, but even their conduct then is regulated by Christ's word. So when they follow, this is a way of saying their whole life changes because not only do they then follow, but they seek to imitate the rabbi. And in this case, they imitate Christ. So earlier on in chapter 10, he says, a stranger they will not follow. They will not follow a stranger, but they will follow me. I listened to a sermon this week where the person in the sermon said, that a young person had an infallible rule. And the infallible rule was this, that they say to themselves, whether they do this, that, or the other, can I take Jesus here with me? Can I take Jesus here with me? Now that might immediately appear to be like good advice, right? Can I take Jesus here with me to this movie? Can I take Jesus here with me to this party? But you see, that's not really Christianity. Christianity is not taking Jesus with you. Christianity is following Jesus. It is doing the will of the Lord, having the mind of Christ and following Him. He is not there to follow you. You need to orient your life in such a way that you are following Him and seeking to do His will on His terms. Not Him say, okay, I suppose I can come here with you. It's not such a bad place. So they follow him. But then finally, 
They are indestructible. And you see this in verse 28. I give them eternal life. There's a positive and then there's two negative statements in the sense of how they are phrased. But they're getting at the same thing. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now the first glorious truth there, I give them eternal life, is Well, let's just say it's not just about duration, but quality. Eternal is the duration, but eternal, in terms of how God understands it, is qualitatively blessed. We had uh, someone leading this morning in Surrey. Whether his name was Ryan or not, I cannot confirm or deny. But Ryan said the following to the people who had got up so early because we somehow lost an hour, just went up in flames. And so imagine usually coming to church at 9 a.m., but it actually feels like 8 a.m. And then you come from, let's say, Aldergrove or Mission or wherever else people drive crazy distances. I don't know why. And so Ryan, yes, Ryan, said uh, that they... And Ferd got in on this, by the way, so you can criticize an elder. He says, oh, you get extra rewards in heaven. And I immediately thought this. Yes, you get an extra day in heaven. And if you came from Alder Grove, you get two extra days in heaven. And if you had to get kids ready, you get three extra days in heaven. And if you did any preparation whatsoever for the sermon by reading John 10, you get four extra days in heaven. Fine. No problem. I can, I can confidently say you get those extra days. But you see, heaven is not just about being somewhere for a long time. It is that we have received abundant life. It is eternal life, but it is abundant life. And they will never perish. They will never perish. Why is that? Because nobody can snatch them out of my hand. Now, as he gets to verse 30, there's this debate where they pick up stones to throw at him because he is supposedly blaspheming because he makes himself equal with God. And people locate this in verse 30, but it's actually in verse 28. How do we know that? No one will snatch them out of my hand because that's language that God uses of Himself in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. Listen to this. See now that I, even I, am He and there is no God beside me. This is Yahweh, God speaking. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. When Jesus says these words, nobody can snatch you out of His hand. He is saying something that God alone has the prerogative to say. Right before you get to verse 29 and 30. You're able to sing a debtor to mercy alone. Oh, my friends. Do you know how good that hymn is? It is some of the most majestic theology you can possibly sing to God. You should go home and read through this. In the last stanza, my name from the palms of His hands eternity will not erase. Impressed on His heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure 
as sure as the earnest is given. Now these two lines, these two lines, please, if you're going to get a tattoo, put this on. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. That's unbelievable. There are people in heaven right now and they are more happy. To be with Christ is better by far. Absolutely. But guess what? If you are a sheep and you belong to Christ, they are no more secure than you are on earth. That's how secure you are. No one can snatch you out of His hand. You will never perish. You have eternal life. That's what it means to belong to Christ. So then he explains the reason. My Father who has given them to me. Something he already speaks of in John chapter 6, I think verse 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me here again. My Father who has given them to me. We are the gift that the Father has given to the Son. And this is before the foundation of the world. And imagine the Father giving a gift to the Son. And the Son then coming into the world in order to procure that gift through His death and resurrection and all of the other acts that Christ has done. And then for that gift to be revoked in some part towards Christ. For God to say, well, I know I promised you 10 million or 10 billion, however many there are, but I actually need to revise that. You see, uh, old Darren's had a rough week. He's done. John's done. Heather's done. Eric's done. In fact, half of you are done. Sorry, Christ. It's insane to think that God would do that. God is not going to revoke His promise to His Son. Which means you are more secure than anything because God is greater than all. There is nothing in heaven or upon earth. Principalities, powers, angels, demons, this life, or the life to come that can what? Separate you from the love of God. God that is in Christ Jesus. That is how secure you are. And you see, they get upset about this and they accuse him of making himself equal with God because he says, I and the Father are one, which not only speaks about essence, but it really speaks about their purpose in salvation. That they're not at odds. That what the Father desires for the Son is the same that the Son desires for himself. And so Jesus says, listen, if your own word in Psalm 82 verse 6 says that uh, people are gods when they are entrusted with uh, being part of the divine council, how much more true is it that I am God if I am in the Father and the Father is in me by the works that I do? And so he escapes from them. Now, I just want by way of application to really bring out one point for you to really meditate upon one sermon point today the security of God's people, and to see what you have been preserved from. What have you been preserved from? You've been preserved from the dangers of this world. Remember the parable of the sower in Matthew 13? And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately He falls away. You're sitting here today. And you've gone through many trials and maybe tribulations and maybe persecutions, but you're still here those haven't been able to separate you from the love of God. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the Word and it proves unfruitful in others. In other words, God has kept you from the deceitfulness of riches. Though 
you all have different bank accounts, you've still been kept from the deceitfulness of riches. You've still been kept from the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil. You've been kept from the health, wealth, and prosperity that leads millions astray and rather have understood that we must, as we read earlier, enter the kingdom through many trials and sufferings. And you've been preserved from false teaching. In 2 Timothy 4, in verse 3, Paul says to Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers. Notice the plural. Not just one, they get a whole bunch. I'll have a little bit of that guy, a little bit of that guy, and I'll have a bit of him. They all make me feel good. I like feeling good. They don't mean spiritually good. And these teachers suit their own passions. There is always a preacher out there who will tickle your particular fancy. They're not hard to find. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You're a sheep who wants to hear the voice of Christ. That's why it's so important that God's Word is preached, it's prayed, it's read, it's sung at this church because you need to come and be confronted and hit across the face, as it were, with the truth of God. And so it sinks into your soul and you walk out almost stumbling because you've heard and you've listened and it's penetrated your soul and you're not the same. That's my duty towards you to actually preach God's Word, to speak of Christ so that you leave here having been filled with His Word, not my own. People drive a long distance to actually, in this day and age, hear the Word of God, don't they? We have people that drive a long way. They can't just roll out of bed, see the church beside their house and say, I'm going to go in and get fed by God's Word because you don't get fed by God's Word in so many churches today. You get fed by puppet shows and stories and programs. And it's not that we're any good. It's just everyone else is so bad. Just simply preach God's Word. Seek to bring out Christ. Nothing fancy. You go home. You love your wife. You love your husband. You pray with your children. You pray for God's people. You come back the week later and you do the same thing. You hear His voice. And He knows you. And you follow Him. You've been preserved from false teaching, many of you. Think about what you could actually be taking into your souls and loving that God has preserved you from. But you've also been preserved from the attacks of Satan. Be sober-minded. Be watchful, Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You have not been devoured because you are Christ's sheep. And He is watching over you. And all of the things going on in heaven that we can't possibly understand to preserve you, that as soon as Jesus Christ, as the great intercessor, mentions your name, but once, just once to the Father, you are as good as glorified. There's a final verse I want to close with. And I've been doing a few funerals lately. And I rather enjoy it. 
That may sound terribly morbid to some of you, but anyone with an ounce of faith should understand what I mean. Thank you. And I'm not going to be able to preach at all of your funerals. Probably because I'm going to die before a lot of you. Which is fair. It's okay, Katie. I'm going to heaven. Rejoice and be glad. I did a funeral recently, and I actually was accused of, of preaching a Helen Brimstone message. But I didn't. That's what's funny. So, which is good because conviction comes in many different ways. But I want to preach your funeral sermon right now, in case I miss some of you. So you can go home. How was, uh, how was the sermon today? Well, uh, Pastor Mark preached my funeral sermon. Oh, wonderful. Sounds like things are going great at Faith Church. Verse 41. And many came to him, and they said, everything that Pastor Mark said about this man, Jesus Christ, was true. And many believed in him there. Everything that I'm telling you about Christ, He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the dead for your justification. He ascended on high and is seated at the right hand of God and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. One day you're going to say everything that Pastor Mark said about Him was true. He is not dead, but He is alive. The question is, will you believe in Him now? And so believe in Him that you hear His voice and that you follow Him and that you make Him chief among 10,000 each day that God has given you in this world. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank You for Your Word and ask that we will listen to the voice of Christ, we will follow Him, and that He will have the preeminence in all things, for He alone is worthy of such. Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus to that end. Amen.